This is the Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Hey everyone, this is Patrick Donahoe. Welcome to episode 134 of the Wealth Standard Radio. And we are uh, broadcasting in uh, somewhat of a unique place this week. Uh, we are in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida at a Tony Robbins event that's called Business Mastery. And it is, uh, it's beautiful here. I'm used to a bunch of snow and, and teen degree weather, but uh, but here it's a nice kind of 70, 72 degrees and there's palm trees all over the place. Uh, but we haven't seen much of that because we've been inside for very long days with, uh, with, <laughs> Mr., with Mr. Robbins. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about uh, this event, why we're here, and what we're getting out, getting out of it, and, uh, and how that applies to you. And, uh, but before, before I get to that, I want to introduce a guy that is uh, just alongside of me who is uh, one of my great friends and also uh, the, the advisor that's been with Paradigm the, the longest, and his name's John Stewart. John, welcome, uh, welcome to the radio today. Thanks, Pat. Been been a while since I've been on. Keep me uh, keep me plenty busy. You can keep yourself <laughs> you keep yourself very busy. I do, I yeah. do. But it's uh, it's great. John John invited me to this. John went to a Tony Robbins event uh, last summer, and I uh, thought that this would be really good uh, for me to attend the business side of things. Uh, and I'm actually kind of uh, compelled to go to some of his other events as well, just based on the experience today. But uh, or the last couple of days, I would say. But this is uh, it's a five day event. And it's, it's incredible. And this, this guy, you know, that, that maybe some of you guys know him from, you know, decades ago uh, with his, you know, rah-rah type of, you know, personality. Uh, but he has been in business for quite some time and has made such a massive, uh, massive difference. And being, I guess being here, it's a little bit different of an event because it's not as big as what he typically puts on. And, and this, is, this is specifically focused for business owners and, in, and improving you know, not only ourselves, which is a big part of how we do in business, but the business itself. But the business itself, exactly. Absolutely. And typically, you know, his events, the, the one that you went to past last summer was like 8,000 people or something like that. And here you really have about, I mean, 1,000 to, to 1,300, I think, is some of the numbers that I've, uh, that I've heard. So it's a more, and you may not think that that's a, uh, an intimate group, but I guess based on some of the, you know, some of the events that he puts on it, it definitely is a, an intimate group. Uh, but he, he does these, I think, once or twice a year. Um, and uh, it is, like you said, specifically associated with business. We're going to talk about how that relates to you and I'll also talk about some of the feedbacks and some of the things we're getting out of it. We're actually going to do a second segment tomorrow that will, that will wrap a lot of the podcast, uh, podcast up. Um, but essentially, this is, you know, it's an event that it has been really profound for me. Uh, it's, it's amazing just how he puts them on and how, you know, the order in which he gets people to change. Because I think, you know, in the end, improving business de- depends, or and really what we equate business to is, is everybody. And I've talked about this before, but, you know, whether you have uh, 100 employees or one employee, or if it, it's just you as an employee, you in a sense are still uh, a business. And looking at what you provide in service and value to others, I mean, that's that's something that, you know, can eventually turn into a business potentially. But at the same time, if you look at your live and you look at what you're providing economically to your employer, you are in a sense a business. So a lot of the principles that we're learning that he's teaching about just, you know, business in general applies just as much to uh, to the employee level, those that are, or those that are working for, for somebody else. Uh, but anyway, in the end, these, these events are really to, in my opinion so far, is to really get you outside of your, your uh, normacy, get you outside of uh, your routine, and it kind of gets you into a different mindset and a different state from what he calls it. And being able to do that, you know, there's a lot of rah-rah, there's a lot of energy, 
but also it's the people that are in the room because people that have come to this have paid I think it's like a five a five figure price tag which is pretty hefty so what it does it increases the caliber you know as far as finances are concerned uh, of the person that's here and what that what's that's done for me at least is it's shown me people that are really pushing the limits they're doing amazing things they're they're trying to, to innovate and they're trying to become better and that's hugely motivational for me so I think being in this environment being in the state that he's kind of forgotten everybody in you have those that are making you know almost a billion dollars a year some of them are making over that I mean there's one guy that got up the other day that was making you know his goal is to go from 600 million to 800 million or something like that I mean these are these are people that are willing to do incredible things and they're here because they associate the value that they're getting with what they're going to be able to do this, you know, this coming year. And I think that's profound because you know the people that have really come, Tony Robbins has really gotten together, have are really trying to continue to push limits on all sorts of different levels. Um, but you know we've we've talked a tremendous amount in the last probably year or so in relation to personal development and what personal development does. Uh, to people because personal development really is I, I think that the uh, the quintessence of an increase in in business and that quintessence is essentially you know taking the mind of an individual the mind of a leader the mind of a business owner and figuring out ways in which he can not only motivate himself but then motivate his team uh, and motivate his company to to do more and be more uh, and to create more value not just this for the customer or the client but for the actual team and culture itself inside the business so it's really profound the results that you know have have come from these type of events. But it's my first one. I mean, it's my first exposure to this, and it's been it's been crazy. I mean, we've been up. I mean, I always remember looking at the clock today, and it's like we've been at it for like eight nine hours, and it feels like a half an hour. It's it's just crazy when you're kind of in that zone that he puts you in and making goals and coming up with ideas. Um, but you and I all always talk about you know the the perspective we have of the world and how everybody has their own. And it doesn't mean that it's good or bad, it's just the way that it is, but it's proof that you can essentially go from one perspective to the next and to expand it and to clarify it, and in doing so, create opportunities for yourself, be in the environment to have ideas and turn those ideas into improving your family, improving your business, improving your community. And I think that opportunity exists for everybody regardless of who you are. Because in the end, I think, you know, we've, I, I talk sometimes about the hierarchical order of people. We always place ourselves in a certain position, right? I'm, I'm here on the ladder of, of humankind, right? You have athletes here, you have celebrities up here, you have motivational speakers here, you have political leaders here, you have business leaders here. They're always higher and higher and higher and higher. And we kind of, you know, sometimes I, I catch myself doing this all the time, where you put yourself at this lower rung and there's all these people there and you're right here and being able to ever be in that state just simply doesn't exist for you or isn't possible. And I've always caught myself saying that. And I think in large part, these events are really to, to bring out in you the fact that all human beings have the same potential. All human beings are born with this amazing asset of their mind. And really, it's getting themselves to believe in themselves and have um, a conviction about who they are, what they can bring to the world, and what their potential is. Now, if that exists, going through the motions of um, you know, increasing your development, continuing to perfect yourself wherever you're at right now and making those incremental steps, you can get to that higher rung because all human beings come up with ideas. All businesses exist because an idea was created. Everybody can come up with ideas. Everybody has thoughts. 
it's really about you know the environment you put yourself in to have those thoughts and then the process in which you bring those thoughts to a reality or to a business or to a process or do or something that's going to create value for others but I think this event right here we've seen a number of instances where there's been interventions where people basically say they can't do this or they can't do that I mean what may, John what were some of maybe your takeaways when people stood up and they raised their hand and then Tony got in and, and these are basically people that says I can't do this I can't improve by this or I can't do that but he got in and kind of intervened and then took them through this process of which they were able to identify you know that they actually could do it but there's a tremendous amount of breakthrough that had to take place I think I, I know I you know we all base our life and our, our view on our perception and sometimes you know I get so caught up in my, my work my home my you know, family and all the stuff there I have this view of, of what's possible what's impossible and you know it, it's always amazed me all of us as humankind think we're the exception to the rule a lot of times like oh yeah that business can do it because or that person can do it because and it's really refreshing to get out and look at a different perspective I use the analogy of a car crash and we have four people standing on opposite corners and they watch a car crash they're all gonna have a, a different view and a different story and they're they're all gonna be accurate it's not the whole story and, and I think stepping outside and seeing that it has been it, it's always refreshing it's always fun for me there's there's people here that are just starting a business there's people you know and and it's amazing you know as you look and like you say you sometimes feel like something's not possible and talk to someone that's having difficulties that you did a year or two years ago and you go, oh, it's so simple. You just, but, but it's not in that moment. Mm -hmm. So it's no. been, been really refreshing to see, you know, someone stands up and says they can't do it and you've got a thousand people in the room that all have the answer, but he's so frozen in his beliefs of, of what reality is that he or she that, uh, they, they totally think it's not. Yeah, we're. I mean, we're our biggest enemy when it comes to progress. It's our. It's what yeah. we believe about ourselves, or what's what we believe is possible. And sometimes it comes down to just what we really want. I mean, I think today one of the interventions he did was, he, I mean, the guy. It took him forever just to say what he wanted because he couldn't figure it out. He kept just dancing around it. And that question is just, it's so important. But environments like these are really where you're able to be. Like I said, be outside of your routine, so you can approach some of the hurdles that you have in life. Uh, and then get ideas and figure out ways in which you can over overcome them. And, and go ahead, John. You know, I, I think a lot of us um, pick things we want to do and things that we want to improve on, but we just don't make a decision to do it. And you know, this time of year is is perfect for that. I mean, how many people have set New Year's resolutions that are already broke, if not some, all of them? And you know, I I, I know I'm one. I know you plan a lot, set a lot of goals, and we hit a lot of them. But there's a lot that keeps showing up year after year after year. And I love the quote he said in there. He said, what's talked about is a dream. What's envisioned is exciting. What's planned becomes possible. But what's scheduled becomes real. And you know, I think that's a big takeaway from mine is decide what's important uh, in life, you know, in, in my business, in my family, in these different areas, and making it real, scheduling it, making the time. To, to make it work. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's it's kind of like when you, when you plant a seed, and you, if you just plant a seed, you just put a seed out there and expect it to grow. I mean, it has the potential to grow. There's a lot of things that have to happen in order for that natural process 
uh, to make it grow, right? It needs the right soil, it needs water, it needs sunlight, you know, it needs all those elements in order to, you know, get to be a plant. And so I think the goal setting is a very important part. Because if you don't, you can have all the water and all the sunlight and all the soil in the world, but if you don't plant a seed, nothing's going to happen. So most people, they look at in resolutions and say, okay, here's the seed, I want to change this. But then all the right in, you know, ingredients or all the other steps of the process to actually get it to be a plan are just not there. Um, so I think here it's, you know, it's, it's obviously bringing the environment of being motivated to have new ideas, to have new seeds, but then it's actually coming up with processes to bring those to, to fruition. And uh, it's, it's important because all human beings are motivated to progress. They want to be better. They want to do more. And they can do more. I mean, what's possible for the human being, you know, the proof is all around us, right? Now, 100 years ago, look at how the world is and look at how the world is right now. It's all because human beings had ideas, planted a seed, and then brought those seeds to the actual stage of a plant. Uh, which created more seeds and then more plants and then more seeds and more plants and that's how compounding it works And so really, you know the takeaway from this is you know personal development is something that everybody should I mean if people want to hit goals and they want to make progress personal development should be Number one on the list and something that we focus on every single day and I know you know I think it was six months ago seven months ago I went to uh, a Blair Singer event down in uh, down in Phoenix and and really it really hit me the importance of personal development all the time. Because sometimes I go on like these binges of audiobooks, these binges of books, these binges on, you know, education. But really a consistent everyday type of feeding or nourishment really gets your your mind programmed to think differently and to think positively and to think with what's the opportunity? What can I learn? What can I do? How can I grow? How can I create value? And personal development these days, you don't have to come to these five days event and five day events and spend all sorts of money to travel. Personal development can start in your, you know, can start uh, in your in your house. It can start in your office. It can start on your way to work. It can start, you know, at work where you take 30 minutes and really just focus on some some things. You know, it's audiobook or tapes or, or whatever, where you basically get yourself in the position of understanding your opportunities, and then throughout that day, it's going to basically be the fuel that will create a, a win for that day. And not only can you, that's some of the most in, important ones to do. These events are significant, but there's so much we have learned. Uh, you know, every day I'm like, man, I wish I had a break to go implement some of this. So these are important, they're, they're amazing, they're fun, but it's, it's the small things consistently every day. One of my favorite books by Jeff Olson uh, called The Slight Edge. You know, he, he talks about that. Someone said they had a problem. He's like, oh, I, there's, there's this book you can go read. And like, I don't, I don't have time to read a book. He's like, can you read 10 pages a day? They're like, anybody can read 10 pages a day. He's like, great, that's 3,650 pages a year. 10 to 15 very good books. So it just comes down to really what we want. You know, and one, one thing, you know, I got out of here just talking, I think everybody's, you know, they're, they're very concerned about what's happened in the economy. And, uh, you know, I, I think everybody's still very raw from 08, 09, the, the, the meltdown there, and knows that things are, they're, they're shaky now, I mean, <clears throat> we're, we're in the building all day long, so not completely up to date with the market, but definitely, you know, checking in and, and, and seeing different things that are happening. And one thing Tony talks about is when winter is coming, kind of does a play yep. on words. Yep. And one of his passions is making sure that, 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 that business owners and individuals as well, but business owners are really his passion, are, are prepared and are, are making the right moves strategically inside of their businesses with education, with their, with their people, to be prepared for, for what's coming. Well, I think you look at, you know, and, and he, he mentioned it the first day where, 
back in 2008, he held a, a summit, I can't remember where it was, where he had a bunch of billionaires there and he held a conference and they really talked about what was coming because he saw some things, other people saw some things and they started, no, it was actually, I think not 2008, it was like 2006 or 2007. It was 2007. 2007. And they really just, they discussed that and they talked about, you know, what, what are some of the signs, what are things can we look for, what are some of the strategies. Uh, and he did mention that, you know, most of these downturns is where there's tons and tons of opportunity because you have so many people that are in an emotional state that are making bad decisions. And there's always another person on the other end of a transaction. So looking at how you're able to capitalize and how you're able to take advantage of situations where there is chaos, where there is downturn, he basically says that if something similar, probably even bigger than 2008, 2009, is coming. Okay, 12 months, 24 months, but he's holding his conference essentially uh, next month in Idaho. And that conference, I think he's gonna have like eight billionaires there and they're gonna be discussing all the different things that are going on and why and what to look for. And not only in, here in the country, but worldwide and, and kind of the triggers and effects. And we're starting to see them already with just yeah. what's happened with China, what's happened with oil, uh, look at what that impact that it's had on U.S. markets. And, you know, go back to our, our last couple of podcasts. Uh, I did the last one with Andy Tanner, and we talked, you know, about the big short movie. We also talked about China. did the same thing the, the week before, really because of how the, the markets and how the economy has kicked off 2016. But, again, the idea behind you know, him mentioning that is those that are really focused on, you know, having their mind in the right place all the time, will not have to fear a winter. They won't have to, to look at it as depressing or look at it as they have to you know, go and hibernate. It's one of the most profound times to take advantage of opportunities, but those opportunities basically become opportunities because of how a person thinks. Those are the seeds. Those are the seeds that you need to put in the ground and start to add fertilizer to. And then once you know, there's a little bit of weather, you don't just you know, come stop feeding the seed, stop nourishing it, you want to nourish it even more, and you want to figure out ways in which you can take advantage of opportunities. And that's what's going on right now. And well, you know, and I think business owners—it's—it's a—you know—you look at the winner, and it's not just winner associated with, you know, the bulge of credit and the bulge of of uh, uh, malinvestment that's being taken place, especially overseas and a lot in the U.S. Um, you know, that is going to be coupled with baby boomers making a massive transition to a different stage of life. And right there. There are so many opportunities to buy businesses, opportunities to, um, you know, partner, opportunities. I mean, you, it's amazing what's going to be able to happen. But knowing what to do, knowing how to do it, you're not just going to wake up one day and figure it out. You have to be developing yourself, developing yourself along the way, so that in those moments, you know what to think, you know how to think, you know who to partner with, you know who to become familiar with because that familiarity is really going to help create those opportunities for you where you can actually uh, become one of those people like in the Great Depression or one of those people in 2008 and 2009 and they cleaned up and really took advantage of how negative the situation was. Well, and you, you know, the beauty of, of education and the beauty of looking at history is being able to, to see patterns. And it always surprises me as, as people become successful, they get almost drunk on on success or, or the current moment and forget that just a few short years ago, you know, and there's this pattern of every seven years, a, a downturn and people, you know, right now I think are a little more leery than, than normal, mm -hmm. but a lot aren't. It's, it's surprising. Yeah. And, you know, very few people, they look at the Great Depression and all that's talked about is how bad it was. Mm -hmm. 
but there were more millionaires created during the Great Depression than any time in our history. Yep. And you know, you look if, if people would look into two thousand eight and nine as well. Now I lost a ton of money. I there was my eyes were very close to a few things, mm -hmm. and I I know many of my clients and, and friends were as well. Um, but the people that were prepared, the people that uh, you know, make sure they have the reserves, make sure they have the liquidity. People that you know, make sure they're they're looking at what's going on instead of just the this allure of this high high return mm -hmm. uh, are the ones that cleaned up in 08 as well. And you know, as, as Tony's talking as well as we we talk about it all the time, as winter comes, as he claims, you know, and I, he says 12 to 36 months or something. It's kind of kind of an open window there. Um, but, but the people that have that mindset are the ones that are not only going to come out well, they're going to come out very far yeah. ahead. And it's an exciting, I mean, I always look at how exciting life is because right now it's growing so quickly. Paradigms are shifting so quickly. You have new technologies. You have, I mean, it's a totally different environment and it's changing uh, every single day. And it's profoundly exciting because in that that progress in that change, there's always opportunity. There's always, I mean, every all the change that's taking place is proof that your mind is an amazing asset because everything that's changing is the result of somebody else's mind. And if you could figure that out and you can put yourself in the position based on your study, um, based on committing to things, based on being around the right people, you know, you're going to be able to take advantage of opportunities as well. And I'm, I don't know, it's going to be, it's going to be a crazy time for a lot of people. And, but in the end, the human race has always been very resilient and they've been able to figure their ways out of problems, right? We're still here after thousands and thousands of years. Okay. So even though there's going to be a winter, that winter may be short and maybe long, who the heck knows? But you know, it's it, a winter is just a season. That season is going to have spring alongside of it, where things are created, then summer, and then harvest. So, looking well, at your opportunity, it's going to come first with the way you think, the way that you believe, uh, and then then everything else falls into place. For those that want things to stay the same, for those that want uh, consistency or, or guarantees, those are the people that are you know are, are going to be hit the hardest. Uh, you know, whether whether we're an employee, whether we're a business owner, whatever it is we get paid to solve problems. Whether it's someone's hungry and we're, we're making a, a, a meal for them or whether you know we're in construction, it doesn't matter. We get solve, we, we get paid to solve someone else's problems. And it, if that's the basis of it, we have more insurity and more problems in our, in, in our economy, et cetera, now than ever before. So those who are willing to innovate, those who are willing to uh, go with the change will, uh, will actually enjoy the winter season yeah. and prosper like like no other time. Yep. So. Yeah, and so that's what, maybe we'll pick back up on that tomorrow when we finish up the podcast and uh, and really talk about this idea about winter and, uh, and how to prepare, what to do to prepare, because there's a lot, there's a lot to do. And you don't, like I said, you don't have to come to these big meetings or spend tons of money. There's lots that you can do for probably nothing, but the effort is really what the price uh, you have to pay to be able to take advantage of that and be, in the, be able to be in the right position. Um, but appreciate you. Uh, yeah, let's let's come back tomorrow. We'll finish this up. We got to go back into uh, to our to Keith Cunningham. Keith Cunningham, the real rich dad, supposedly, is going to be speaking next. So we'll uh, uh, we'll see you on the other side, uh, other side of Keith Cunningham. We'll come back tomorrow and finish this up. All right. Hey everyone, this is, uh, this is Patrick Donahoe. Welcome back to uh, the second segment of episode 134. I'm uh, here again at the Tony Robbins Business Mastery event in beautiful 
Southern Florida, and I am joined with a good friend, John Stewart, who's on uh, in the last segment. And uh, what we're going to do is just uh, take about a half an hour and cover uh, cover the remainder of the day. We also have uh, one of the other attendees that's uh, at the conference, and he's going to chime in here in a little bit. He is actually a Wall Street analyst. So we are going to cover some of the topics discussed today that revolved around uh, finances and revolved around investing and, and different uh different money strategies. So it was an interesting uh, interesting day, to, to say the least. But we uh, we ended off last night with probably, uh, aside from Tony, my, my favorite speaker, and this is actually the second time I've heard him, uh, Keith, Keith Cunningham. And he has uh, an incredible background, and it was, he was a brilliant, brilliant presenter and really made financial statements and how to create a scoreboard financially and, uh, and really made it easy for, for really anybody. Um, so it was good. He, so he ended us uh, last night, and then uh, and then he was part of uh, part of the first presentations this morning, kind of wrapping everything up. But uh, that was, you know, for me one of the the main main highlights today. And uh, so let's maybe take a moment to discuss about that. Uh, discuss that because John, you know, we we often talk about you know when it comes to your development, personal development, who you are, who your business is, really the the results of who you are, and you know, from a financial perspective. And the results of your business can be measured. So, looking at a scoreboard, the scoreboard tells you uh, if you're winning or losing, right? The scoreboard also is a function of what game you're playing. And and oftentimes, you know, if you're familiar with a sport, you know the team who's winning and losing. And if you know the other metrics associated with it, you know why they're winning and they're losing. And also, if you look at the the uh, parameters of the actual game itself and how long it takes uh, uh, for that game, you know if the, the winner or loser, what their odds are of finishing the game as the winner or loser, or if it's still early to tell. So there's a lot that you can tell from scoreboards, but your takeaways from, you know, from, uh, uh, from Keith Cunningham and how he really represented being able to uh, quantitatively show the success or the failure of a business or a person, what, did, you know, what were some of the takeaways that, that you had during his, uh, his points? Well, you, you touched on a few of them, but... <clears throat> You know, I, it brought back a lot of memories of when I started in business and, uh, you know, in my, my early 20s. And, you know, I'm, I'm printing what else everybody's asking for, the banks. I'm looking at some of the reports, you know, the, the, the profit loss, the balance sheet, the income statement. And, you know, thought I knew what was going on with the, uh, with the business. But he, he brought up, uh, you know, he showed scoreboards of football, of basketball, and it was very relevant to everybody what was happening and kind of different scenarios throughout the game. And then he brought in... Uh, cricket, and he brought in rugby. Uh, he brought rugby. in rugby too, yeah. and it, so he pulled up the scoreboards, and it was, uh, you know, it was all in English and it was all numerical, but it could have just been Greek. We, you know, everybody just had deer in the headlights look, and I know myself as well as a lot of business owners have the same thing. They pull these reports, and uh, probably another main thing is he he says, you know, a lot of people they they know they want to be more profitable. This business is not only there to create, you know, freedom financially for them, but also, uh, you know, ultimately to sell it to, you know, to, to grow, give their employees a better life. And uh, most business owners think the only way to do that is simply to grow. And uh, he had some very unique um, ways to look at, and he broke down these three statements. Um, you know, he used instead of saying assets that this is your stuff and things this is things and stuff things and stuff and this is <laughs> this is what you owe and own and uh, it was it, it was a great analogy he broke it down in very simple terms and then uh, broke down businesses different ways to become more profitable it was it was very amazing and very fun 
never had accounting that fun. Yeah, and he and he's just a very you know he's obviously spoken for decades, and he he does a good job of kind of getting the the crowd into it. And obviously, if you speak with Tony Robbins often enough, a lot of what Tony does bleeds into to your way of speaking. But he did have that you know Texas accent and and really got the crowd into it, where you were able to analyze quite a bit. And so he did get into numbers, did get into different calculators that he had. But again, the idea was really to read and really to understand the health, the direction of a business from a financial standpoint. And oftentimes you have to look between, you know, read between the lines to really understand what's going on. So now we're going to bring our, our, our Wall Street analyst in here. And for compliance reasons, we're not going to mention his name or who he works for. Um, but at the end of, and we'll just call you Joe, we'll call you Joe for, for whatever. So, so Joe, at the end of, you know, Keith's speech, he was talking about Wall Street analysts. And he was specifically referring to Enron. And he went through 2001 where Enron started out, I think, at like... 60 bucks a share and then all the way through 2001 into 2002 when they filed bankruptcy all of the financial analysts were you know giving their opinion giving their advice but as the you know the stock went down and down and down and down and down it was the, it was kind of the same advice until they went bankrupt so i guess as you chime in cuz you you know we were talking a moment ago you said you know, there was kind of like the, not the anti-Wall Street, but you know, there was this kind of negative sentiment toward Wall Street and toward that type of behavior. But you being in the business, I mean, what was going through your mind as he was talking about, you know, analysts and and how they were really looking at Enron during the period of time where they were going into bankruptcy? Yeah, sure. So, I, I just to start off with, I think Keith did a, a fabulous job. You know, in, in particular, like with some of the companies I cover are more software and internet companies. There's just a huge disconnect between uh, gap income and cash flow. Mm-hmm. You know, a perfect example is everyone knows Salesforce because you know uh, Mark Benioff, the founder, is buddies with yep. Tony Robbins. So in yeah, we and we we use Salesforce as our our main platform for our business. So it's an ama- amazing software, amazing company. Yeah, so there's the whole concept of deferred revenue, uh, where we we could get into that. It might be a little complicated, but the bottom line is like in, in their fiscal 2015. Um, on a gap basis, they lost 260 million net income, but on a free cash flow basis, it was positive almost 900 million. Uh, so, just the example Keith was going through about looking at just income statements or just balance sheets uh, or just even cash flow statements, you really have to have a, have a complete holistic view. And it doesn't tell the whole story if you're just looking at one one line or another line, right? You have to really understand multiple lines. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And that's actually a question, you know, obviously we didn't do any preparation for this, but we've, you know, we, we use software as our, as our platform. Everything we do is, is on a virtual space. So we're exposed to a lot of different services and softwares. And you really look at, you know, he gave examples, Tony gave examples of, of like an Amazon you know, versus Barnes and Noble, or you look at you know Airbnb uh, versus Marriott, or you look at uh, Uber versus whatever whatever transportation uh, for Netflix versus Blockbuster. Net- Netflix versus <laughs> yeah. Blockbuster. So, so looking at you know how valuations occur with software companies, you have these mm-hmm. massive like multi- like Instagram selling to Facebook for a billion dollars. Where, I mean, what is really the true value behind those software companies compared to other companies that do have physical assets? And Keith kind of talked about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so he talked about companies that have, you know, physical, tangible, you know, machinery or buildings or real estate or whatever. But then these other companies that really don't know anything but have mm-hmm. higher valuation than they do. So how is, how is that, I mean, from an analyst perspective, how is that done? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's kind of 
various ends of the spectrum with you know companies like Instagram versus a company like Salesforce. You know, more Instagram's more obviously more consumer focused, whereas Salesforce is more business focused. B two B, yeah. Yeah, and uh, just comparing those two type of companies, the internet ones tend to be a lot more volatile, and there gets to be a lot of excitement about it. You get the media puts it on their news stations all the time, and it kind of hypes it up, and more people visit the sites, and maybe they're not really long term, and you know some of that can affect the the valuation in in, in those companies. Um, comparatively, you know, software companies like Salesforce, it's much more predictable. They have, you know, mostly one-year contracts, and uh, you're growing. I think still, it's it's growing like 20%. Uh, so it's on a cash, free cash flow basis, it's uh, positive. So you know, those multiples are much more reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but compared with like an industrial company, it might trade for one times revenue. You know, like Salesforce is like five times revenue. Yep. But it's growing much faster and has um, much more free cash flow generation. Got it. All right. So what's so the GAP is generally accounted. I mean, that's the general accounting side of things. But then, for, what is what's the difference between that and free cash flow? So the definition of free cash flow is like the, the cash from operations, uh, which you know Keith was really hammering down is the most important metric. Yep. Um, and then backing out of that, uh, capital expenditures. Got it. Okay. And they don't have a ton of capital. I know. Aren't they building like a like this huge, massive structure in San Francisco right now? They are. Yeah. They. Yeah, built them all over the, the world, really. London and in San Francisco. But isn't this one in one of San Francisco going to be like the biggest like commercial space in the world? Isn't that kind of what his one of his goals was? I heard him speak about that once, Benioff. I think so. It, another <laughs> interesting thing about Benioff is I, I can really see Tony's influence in him. Can you? Uh, okay. For the uh, for example, he's uh, I don't know if he funded the whole thing, but the whole Children's Museum, not the museum, uh, Children's Hospital mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Um, he, he funded that, and there's this whole uh, concept of 1%, 1%, 1%, where 1% of equity goes to not-profit, not-for-profits, 1% of all the employees' times, uh, like their time they're working, goes to non-profits, and 1% of their actual profits go to um, non-profits. Oh, that's cool. So I, I, know I, that. I think that's directly related to... To some of Tony's influence? Yeah. Sweet. Well, we'll get. Let's get into maybe some of the tech in, in just a bit. But I want. I'd love you to comment on when it, when he when Keith was going through the whole Enron debacle, that whole two thousand and one, and you had all all sorts of different analysts out there. Mm-hmm. I think you're not an you're not you don't work for an analyst type of company. You're working more for like a a firm, and you're the analyst of that inside that firm. From what I from what your our discussion was, but looking at like the Enron and all the analysts' perspective, why did they keep saying that it was good, it was a buy, keep holding, keep buying, buy. I mean, it was buy, buy, buy all the way through from $60 a share until they were bankrupt. Like, why would an analyst, why do analysts do that? And I know that there's a lot of examples, but the other really popular one is when Jim Cramer got on there right before Lehman Brothers had to file bankruptcy. And he was saying, you know, hold on, this is a super old investment bank. I mean, they're not, they're never going to go under. Why do people come out and actually say that, even though maybe one side of the financial statement says they're doing okay, but the other side says a completely different story? Yeah, yeah. I was trying. I was trying to avoid answering that. <laughs> <laughs> since, since you're pressuring me, I, yeah, I think so. So I do work for an investment bank similar to those, um, the, the ones you mentioned, and uh, there's a, a lot more into it. Like a lot of people just look at the, the final rating, you know, market perform, outperform, underperform. Uh, but there's a lot of other factors that go into it. You know, a lot of stocks 
can be very volatile. You know, like you can have an outperform on the stock, and the stock um, uh, goes almost too high for you that you're not quite comfortable with, but you you're still kind of recommending it, but you don't want to reduce it to a market perform. You know, just because the you, know, you can't really change the ratings really quick. But Enron is a special example, like, and I think in that. Um, in my anonymous opinion, is you know, I think there's investment banking relationships uh, where the, the banking side of the research was trying to um, influence the, the analyst, uh, you know, you know, for millions of dollars of banking fees. Yep. I think that had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of times, reducing ratings from outperform to market perform really is the same as making a sell recommendation. And just looking at the the rating of buy hold sell uh, is is not a good way to uh, use Wall Street analyst recommendations. And it's and it's interesting because when you, and we'll we'll move on to this other topic as we get into the second part of today. But if you if you look at like an analyst, if they were to be if one was to say you know hold, and then suddenly the next day they saw you know what Keith was really pointing out in the financial statements, and they were like sell sell sell. Going from one extreme to the next, what would happen to that stock? It would it would get it would get dumped. Oh yeah, and that would yeah. create all sorts of turmoil. So you can see why there's you know a lot of influences out there so that stocks don't get dumped overnight. Right. Yeah. And no, I just want to Enron's a, a, a probably a special example. I mean, there's there's other very poorly run companies that do a lot of financial shenanigans, mm-hmm. uh, but I. I try to steer clear of those, at least for the ones I cover. Yeah, and that's and I want to get into kind of some some disruptive type of technologies that are coming out. And what your opinion is there? But yeah, I just as we kind of finalize, you know, some of the things that uh, that Keith talked about today, it really was, I guess, in summary, you look at a scoreboard, and a scoreboard, really a true one, tells t- tells you, gives you, you know, uh, objective measurements of what's going on, so you can form an opinion. But at the same time, if you don't know the language and if you're not familiar with what that statement is, it's very difficult to interpret what's going on. If you don't know the rules of cricket, you're not going to look at the scoreboard and, and understand what's going on. But if you understand the rules of like football, you know more or less what's going on. You know if, if it's the fourth quarter and a team is down by 21 and there's three minutes to go and they just turned over the ball, they have a very low likelihood of winning that game. You know that. But if you don't know the rules of another game, then you're just you're gambling in a sense. John, were you gonna make a comment? Well, I was just you know I, <clears throat> I I truly believe there's very few that are out there just to deceive. But is you know kind of like going back to what Keith was was showing here. Is there a lot of them that aren't aren't looking at the full picture that maybe maybe should be or because hindsight's always twenty twenty and, and Enron is a an anomaly for the most part, mm-hmm. but it's one a lot of people know, and it's one a lot of people lost money, and it's it, it, it's one that left a, a lasting impression. But you know, with what Keith was showing, it's like, well, of course, if you're looking at that, it's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things like that get missed not only by business owners, but but a lot with analysts. Is it kind of the same thing? They're just not looking at the full picture, or mm-hmm. yeah, I've seen that too. Like sometimes you know, companies will have operating metrics. You know, outside of just financial statements, you know, maybe like the number of customers or the retention rates, uh, renewal rates for customers, and um, turnover in Salesforce, not not Salesforce the company, like your, your sales team. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I think it's really important to, to track all those metrics and see if you can ident- identify trends. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you'll ask the management teams about it, and they'll say, 
oh, don't worry about it, it's just a one-time thing. But then you really got to put on your thinking cap and say, is that really a one-time <laughs> thing or is this, this a new trend and there's, there's something going on here that you know, I need to you know, research more? Got it. Okay. All right. Let's let's move on to kind of the when, as Tony went into some of the personal personal investing. So today, I mean, it, it, we did a, a podcast probably a year and a half ago, a little over a year and a half ago, um, after Tony Robbins' book, which is called Money Master the Game, uh, came out. So we'll put that in the show notes, and, and you can uh, listen to that if you haven't already. But um, I, I enjoyed that book to to a degree. And I think it was good because Tony kind of went in and, and really started to talk about how financial planning and investing uh, is, is taking a turn. I mean, I think technology in general has allowed people to do what money managers and financial advisors have done for a long time uh, themselves. Now, again, in, in the end, you can actually invest yourself. It doesn't mean that you know what you're doing. Um, so that's where you know a lot of the education comes in, but still, one of the, the points that I'd like to really hit on, and maybe John, you can comment on this, was uh, he, he basically says that as a, as a business owner, you know, there are essentially seven things that can uh, put, your, put your business in crisis mode. And a lot of those seven things you know, have happened to multiple businesses. We can go back and look at that. So looking at the future and whatever the business is, you know, business is never really going to be static. Business is always going to be changing just because humanity is constantly evolving. They're constantly wanting new things. They're constantly wanting uh, replacement services. There's new trends. And some of it you can control and adjust when it comes to your business. Some of it you, you can't. Okay, the, the creator of the 8-track player or the creator of the CD I mean, you have to shift your business, and if you're not on top of that shifting, then that type of competition is going to, to drive you out. So his point was, you know, business, if you put all your eggs in one basket, it, you know, even though you do have control over the business, doesn't mean that it's always going to be successful. So he talks a lot about taking money off the table and really starting a second business where you're able to create essentially your own investments and your own financial independence so that in the event that your business does uh, take a turn for the worse because of these different crisis, uh, these crisis events, uh, you are not caught holding the bag. And he gave examples of some billionaire, I don't know who he, who he knew, he was building apartments in Las Vegas and just kept taking all the profits and turning into the next apartment building and taking profits and turning into the next building and then eventually the crisis came in 2008, 2009 and he lost everything. So really, was, you know, Tony was really harping on the fact that you should take profits from your business, uh, some of them, and put them on the side and create kind of a second business of, of, uh, of, of investing and, and money management. So did you, I mean, that wasn't a surprise to you because I know you're familiar with it. What's your thoughts around that? It wasn't. You know, more, more than anything, it, it just brought back a lot, of, um, a lot of lessons, a lot of memories I went through. You know, I, I had uh, in, in, in 2008, I had a five-year contract in, in Vegas that we had 48-hour notice that got canceled. I had multiple things and, you know, I had always tried to, the same analogy, tried to carve off money and not have all my eggs in one basket. But what I noticed is I kept putting my money into businesses, into things that, you know, when it was hit, they were all hit. And so one of his big things is as you put that money to the side, make sure you have a, a very sizable nest egg that is that is safe, that is secure, that can can be there to ride out the storm, and um, it wasn't new news, but again, it was, it was a good refresher and a good reminder. Brought up a lot of memories of not only my own uh, uh, past, but a lot of friends and, and and business owners I knew that went through it. Yeah. So, so, so Joe, Wall Street analyst, 
<laughs> Since we can't use your real name. Yeah. Uh, so, so if you look at, you know, you, you in the tech space, I mean, right now it's like the last two years, everything's been about startup. Start up this, start up this, start up this, start up this. All these new businesses forming and, and trying to, you know, find some sort of app or find some sort of leverage. And people are putting sometimes their life savings into, you know, these startups. What, do you know what the percentages of startups that actually do get acquired or do go public? I mean, do you have any idea what those, because I'm sure you knowing the software space and knowing the technology space, you see quite a few businesses come around. Yeah, I think it's probably the, the minority by far. That uh, There's a lot of chatter in the valley and elsewhere about these, uh, they, what they call the unicorns, which is billion dollar valuations. And uh, it's extremely rare to get that. Yep. And uh, I've talked to companies you know, looking to acquire other companies and, and they say that uh, smaller ones, you know, see the valuations that like uh, uh, Instagram or Pinterest or something like that are getting. Snapchat. Or Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, and they say like, hey, well, you know, I want 50 times revenue multiple too. And at, at some point there'll be uh, uh, kind of coming down to earth. Maybe it's, you know, this winter season we're coming into that that uh, Tony's talking about. Uh, I guess that's a whole other topic. It but. is, yeah, but, but at the same time it's a great point because, you know, you have a lot of the, and again, it goes to his whole discussion today, is you have a lot of these companies that are coming out and, because VC and private equity and other companies have tons and tons and tons of cash, will they always be in that acquisition mode? Maybe not. So if a company builds with the end goal to get acquired and they have all their eggs in that company, it could be a gamble. So again, his whole point was, regardless of the business that you're in, whether it's a startup or whether it's an existing business, you know the world is changing so quickly that a lot of the disruption that's occurring could wipe you out. And so being able to take money out of the business, carve it out, and then you know have an allocation that you can't lose is, is really the point he was making today. It took several hours to, to convey that, but in the end, that's the, that's the summary, is being able to carve out money and essentially have your safety buckets and have a certain percentage of your wealth in there, and then have your growth buckets, which does incorporate a little bit more risk, um, but offsets really everything that you're building inside your business. So how I, how I looked at that is, um, I agreed, but at the same time, and I think he would agree to my point, which is there always have to be exceptions because I think looking at a business, business is what you can control. And if you really do understand the opportunity, understand your numbers, understand your metrics, then you know having money on the outside, having reserves, having liquidity is, is always going to be important. But even inside your inside your own business, there's always going to be opportunities to to make investments. It could be a technology investment, it could be a marketing investment, it could be. Um, you know, an acquisition type of investment, but if you really have the education around your business, and really, as we focused on yesterday, um, put emphasis on your personal development, on your business development, the education you acquire from that is going to allow you to see those opportunities and hopefully take advantage of them. Because in the end, if you really look at the biggest opportunity for wealth, it, it's not hitting the golden stock, it's not hitting, um, you know, an IPO, it's not hitting this magic investment. You know, it's it's really trying to figure out the best uh, way to leverage yourself or build build your business. Everybody gets excited for the home runs, but that's not what wins games. It's the base hits consistently that wins the game. And you know that that's why I got into the business we were in. That's what excites me about it is I knew a lot of this, but as as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, I hate seeing money sitting there growing slowly. And what I love is is with what we do, we we get that money to the side, we, we get the liquidity, we get the safety, and still have growth and control with it. And you know, that, that subject right there, and, and not only for myself, 
but for the you know for our clients, for the people we meet every day, that is the passion that excites me to get you know every day to keep coming in. So it's a very much needed whether whether it is in a policy or whether it is in another um, you know area like Tony's teaching. It it's something that not only every business but every investor needs to be working on. Yep. No, I I agree. So if you look at you know we only have a couple couple minutes left. Uh, if you if you really look at what I kind of take away from his his talks today was, you know, bi business is is something everyone here is is here to master. They're here to master you know the financial side of things, the idea side of things, the motivation side of things, and and what Tony brings out of people is really is really profound. But in the end, human beings, I think we're irrational, we're sporadic, we have kind of part of our nature that. You know, if, if we were to, able, you know, I'm sure that there are some people on planet Earth that can take every bit of information that was shared over the last few days and remember 100% of it. But it's not me. It's not very many people. So, really, what I think he built in today was uh, creating a system and creating the discipline of, you know, saving and putting, not saving, but paying yourself a certain percentage of what you're making, uh, systematically, automatically, um, so that you're not, you know, you don't succumb to that irrational side of human beings, which may think something is a good idea, but when the actual, when, it, when it's the time to make that decision, oftentimes your, uh, your emotion sets in and you, uh, and you do not make that decision. So essentially setting up, setting up systems to you know, overcome just our natural tendencies, I think was, uh, was another thing I took away. Um, so let's, let's maybe take uh, just the last, the last couple, couple of minutes. And this is really you know, with, our, with, our, with Joe, the Wall Street analyst, uh, I'd love to, to kind of get into, which is um, something I, I find fascinating. I'm glad that it was touched on today, but it's, I mean, you're, you're probably seeing, you know, because your focus from what you've told us is really in the technology space, and you're seeing tons of disruption. And even Tony talked about a lot of companies that he's investing in, whether it's, um, what are some of the ones he talked about today? Virtual reality was, was one of them. Um, but what are, you know, looking at disruption, I mean, my, how I look at just the economy is in the next, you know, I'll, I'll be conservative and say 10 years, I think it's sooner, but let's say 10 years, I, I envision the entire world changing just because of how quickly things are going. And that is, you know, changing from food or transportation or clothing or education. I mean, a lot of things are, are changing. For, so from your space, as you're analyzing technology, as you're analyzing software, um, first, do, do you agree with that or have an opinion about just the disruption of new technology that's taking over existing business, existing services, and you know what is kind of going on right now that could disrupt traditional business? Uh, and some people here are in traditional business, right? Mm -hmm. Staffing, um, car services, um, business services. I mean, a lot of that stuff is getting thrown on its, you know, on its rear end. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing that's going to disrupt? You know, maybe the world from your from your vantage point, since you're you know in the soup every day. Yeah, you know, it always kind of surprises me. I, you know, probably because I, I cover technology and just that how um, how widespread technology really isn't yet. Um, I, I think every industry should be um, very efficient and using all the tools available. It, it kind of gets into that that futurist what that was talking yesterday um, about the human element versus the um, computerized or automated. Humology. Humology. The humologist. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, I thought that was fascinating. I did too, yeah. And I, I think in, in general, the technology that's available, most industries are probably 10% of where they should be. Hmm. Uh, and I, I think over the next 10 years, is, um, 
technology is going to keep improving, so the best companies, you know, like the Salesforce, are just going to keep go, getting ahead. Mm -hmm. And other companies, um, if, if they don't move quick, they're going to lose their asses. Yeah, and that's yeah. and this is kind of the opinion I have because I, I I agree. It's I think you look at you know just how quickly technology is growing on whatever curve you want to use Moore's law. I mean, more the Moore's is it Moore's law? Is that what it's called? When computing doubles every year or whatever. But that that idea and then adoption, company adoption, is very slow to that. And you're seeing this kind of increase. And by the time companies really start to engage, you know, the time it's going to take them to adopt technology will be so much further ahead by the time that they adopt it. It's ready to really adopt a new strategy or new technology. So I find that fascinating, and I really look at some major disruption if companies do not move quick enough. So. I mean, this is a question that I've, I've always wanted to know. I mean, with the bigger companies, like your big manufacturing companies, your, your automakers, you know, companies with thousands of employees, I mean, Salesforce has thousands of employees. How, how are they moving so quickly compared to like a, you know, a manufacturing company that's still, you know, part of that 90% that you're talking about? Like how are, what are they doing differently? Yeah, so again, I, I think, uh, Mark Vainoff has really taken to heart a lot of what uh, Tony teaches. Uh, you know, he talks about candy, constant, um, what is it, never-ending improvement, mm -hmm. and uh, just never resting on their laurels. You know, they're number one market share in, in Salesforce automation already, and then they uh, go out and uh, you know conquer the customer service space, and they're con conquering the marketing space, yeah. and they're conquering the the platform as a service place. Well, they're doing finance. They're in. I was reading about the financial cloud today, yep. and they're doing the finance, you know, financial services cloud, which is amazing. Because it was like an app that I wanted to that I wanted to incorporate with our business, and Fidelity acquired it, mm -hmm. and they completely shut off their API to, to Salesforce. <laughs> so it doesn't even oh, exist anymore, just because Salesforce is putting in the financial cloud. Yeah, yeah. So it's amazing. Yeah. I think that's another Tony influence too. Because clearly, Tony's focused on the financial. Yeah. Markets. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's amazing what's going on, and and so what would I mean? Maybe what are some of the tools that you use to really, you know, the futurist type of, you know, conversation? Like, you know, the guy that spoke to us uh, last night. What was his name again? Keith. No, no, the other, the guy, the the futurist guy that has um, all of his tech. He has a lot of software, marketing software, and automation. I remember he's out of Oklahoma. I don't remember his name. Yeah, and he had he had kind of like a weird way, and he was like dancing the robot. It's kind of. It's kind of interesting. He was like trying to dance. I was like, wow, that guy, uh, I dance even better than him, which isn't, which isn't saying much. Um, all right, so yeah, so what he was talking about, I mean, what are some of the tools that you're really looking at to see if company, you know, tech companies are going to make it, if some uh, software companies are going to make it, and then how, you know, how they're towing the line with other major industries that are out there trying to essentially take over market share? Yeah, I mean, and there's, there's probably a dozen ways to answer that, you know, just, you know, quick first thought is, um, you know, really educating yourself, going to events like this, you know, reading stuff by Ray Kurzweil and other futurists and um, keeping an eye on what the, the up-and-coming startups are doing and, you know, not taking them for granted because companies can grow crazy fast now just because it's so easy to get up and launch a company and get it marketed and, uh, you know, like, probably maybe a bad example, but like Groupon grew to like a billion dollar revenue company in, mm -hmm. in like what, three years, I think. Yeah. Um, and it, again, that's a whole other story of what happened so once after they met that billion dollar mark. It, but, it was downhill. Yeah, so <laughs> like, and then that, it all kind of ties together. It's like some of the fundamental things, you know, like, you know, 
measuring the metrics and um, the different elements of the financial statements. So what, do you, what are maybe, and this, we can end on this, but what are, what are like the, the one or two things that you always look for in, in a company that you're analyzing? Um, I think management is uh, probably the most important. Okay. Uh, an important, like a, a great track record, you know, visionary. Of the managers. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I think that's really the biggest factor. Interesting. I mean, because if you have uh, someone at the helm who's saying, you know, let's, yeah, let's get the strategy, let's measure it constantly, and you know, they're in tune with where, where the markets are going, and you know, they can get things done. Cool. Uh, I think that's the most important. Cool. Factor. Well, Joe, if you you don't mind, one last uh, one last question here. <laughs> Uh, you know, obviously, you know, we, we, we all have different viewpoints, Pat, myself, and, you know, we're kind of in the same industry. Mm -hmm. Kind of as somebody in, in, a, in a different industry, what are some of your main takeaways from, you know, from Keith, from, from Tony as we're here to kind of wrap up there? Yeah, I don't know. Um, to be honest, I've I loved the conference. I think the first uh, three days were phenomenal. And maybe it's just because, you know, I, I know financials pretty well. Like, I picked up a couple of nuggets, uh, but I, I thought uh, today didn't go very much beyond what was in the money master book, in the book yeah. and I you know you can't assume that everyone read that book um, but that'd be my one critique mm -hmm. uh, for today but it gave me a chance to catch up on my day job <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for being candid Joe yeah no it's been it's been a good conference and Joe we appreciate you being being on uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up the wrap up the podcast but um, you know, really getting getting to these type of conferences, focusing on your business development, focusing on your personal development. Does it have to happen at a conference? You know, 500 miles away, not not necessarily. But still, the emphasis is there's always there's always room to grow. Uh, human beings are agile. We're all agile. We can all take on more information. We can all get rid of bad habits and acquire good ones. There's always w ways to progress and innovate and be better than we were yesterday. And looking at today, you know, really it it, it hit some hit some chords uh, for me in regards to some things that. Um, I can work on and hit chords as far as some of the other people here today with businesses and recognizing that, you know, putting everything into their business uh, may end up really hurting them. So it was, it's good because this conference has really covered a, a wide spectrum of, uh, of topics, um, but so far so good and uh, we appreciate everybody listening and uh, we will talk to you all next week and we want a special thanks to John for being on here and also to... Uh, Joe, the uh, the Wall Street analyst, thank you for you being on here as well. And uh, thank you all for listening. Go back and uh, check out our past episodes. And also, we'll put some pictures in the show notes. So make sure you go to uh, thewellstandard.com to, uh, to see those pictures. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial.